On July 19, 2011, Captain America The First Avenger was released in theaters, giving Americans across the nation hope and the will to fight through what at the time was a horrible internal battle. For you see, normally we are in the beginning of NFL training camp season during this time of year. However, 2011 was different. There was no training camp for teams at the time, and it all revolved around three little letters that had a huge impact on Americans' hopes and dreams, and they were CBA. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step up for DeLorean, we're in the middle of March, 2021. We have shifted forward two years into the future, because this is the last day of the 2020 league year, and we're worried, because we don't know if there's going to be a new agreement. Are the owners going to lock the players out again? Are the players going to go on strike? We don't want to relive the problems that we dealt with in 2011, or even worse, back in 87 when we had that major striker 82. But it is still a possibility. And to give us a little bit of a clue, here's an excerpt about the expiration date from the current NFL CBA. This agreement shall be effective from August 4th, 2011 until the last day of the 2020 league year except for the provisions relating to the draft, Article 6, which shall remain in effect for the year immediately following the expiration or termination of this agreement. So think about that. These players can still be drafted, even if there's not a season. And that's what the guys back in 2011 thought. They're like, well, I'm getting drafted. Are we going to have a season this year? Am I going to get paid? What's going on? But how do we get to this point? Can't we just figure things out? I mean, just quit going back and forth, players and owners. Let's just get a deal and just stick with it for a while and make sure that we don't ever have to worry about a lapse in NFL play. But that's not the case. And so this, the final chapter in what is a four-part series covering the NFLPA, is going to kick off. But let's go back to episode one. In that episode, we covered the father of sports labor action, Mr. Bill Radovich, and the birth of the NFLPA back in 1956. Then in episode two, we kind of blew through the AFL-NFL merger in the 70s when the NFL became a certified bona fide union. Last week's episode is what we dubbed the dark decade because there was all sorts of striking going on and a lot of animosity between the owners and the players, ultimately leading to the decertification of the NFLPA as a union on December 5th, 1989. And we've talked about Reggie White and players gaining their free agency in previous episodes. But at that time, the NFLPA was not a union. However, they still backed the players. They helped them out financially. They really helped them get through a lot of the various litigation lawsuits that they put upon the NFL owners. And that brings us to the next story in the chapter. It is kind of referred to as licensing wars because the players... They, at the time, they were signing NFLPA group licensing authorizations, uh, basically think about NFL Players, Inc., to allow the NFLPA to gain some monies for the sales of their jerseys, advertisements, fatheads, yada, 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 all those kinds of things. Basically, anything that represented the player and not specifically the team would go towards this NFLPA group licensing. So what do you think happened? In the early 90s, 
The NFL owners, of course, they would launch a counter-strike. The teams had something called the NFL properties, where if it was representative of the team and not the player, then that's another way they're going to get some money too. But instead of sitting on the sidelines and just accepting it, the owners decided that they were going to try to coax players into jumping ship from the NFLPA over to NFL properties. Losing this money would greatly restrict the amount of help that the NFLPA could give to players in their fight against the owners for, at the time, what was mostly revolved around free agency. So from 1990 to 1992, the NFL properties spent in excess of $30 million to players. So even though they wanted to get rid of they didn't want to spend money to give players the chance and freedom to wherever you want to play, they decided, well, let's spend money to these specific players so then we don't have to down the road pay them and what? Ultimately, it still saved them money, but let's just say you're paying extra money to not pay the players. Well, okay. So let's get on with it. Big names were the target at the first because you got to get the big guys in to try to draw the little guys out with you. The first big names were what they called the quarterback club. Each of these quarterbacks was guaranteed a minimum of $500,000. These quarterbacks were Jim Kelly, Warren Moon, Dan Marino, Phil Simms, John Elway, Bobby Brister, Boomer Esiason, Troy Aikman, Jim Everett, and Randall Cunningham. Now that is a lot of firepower. I remember the old school Nintendo game called Nintendo Quarterback Club, which makes me think. We might need to do a whole new episode on the football games that have come out, you know, Madden, Tecmo, all those kinds of things. But at the same time, you get these eight quarterbacks. Now, that's a lot of clout that you have to try to start coaxing other players to come through. Over 700 players throughout the time would end up signing with the NFL properties. But ultimately, it didn't change the outcome even though it probably looked like the ship was sailing to the other side and we probably should jump ship ourselves because we're going down. But the ships that the players were sailing on were led by Mr. Reggie White, and they did not go down. They ultimately would win in courts, they would secure victory for themselves as far as free agency, and then things would change between the relationship of NFL owners and NFL players. The union was banded back together again, just like arguably one of the greatest comeback tours in rock concert history. This would be between 1996 and 1997, where all four members of KISS would put that paint back on their faces and they're ready for go time. So was true of the NFL players. The NLRB confirmed union status in March of 1993. So okay, we can get to stepping for the CBA with free agency as part of the deal. And of course, Gene Upshaw was a major part of it. In fact, Gene Upshaw is constantly brought up as a hero of the NFLPA, but there have been many others throughout the history of the association. You can find a link to 60 Heroes in 60 Years of the NFLPA in the show notes, which, by the way, you can get to the show notes of your podcast player or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Also, I ask that you subscribe for free to this show by mashing that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. That way, you get the hottest. Freshest out the press episodes each and every week. And with this victory for the NFL players and the NFL PA, it was time for them to continue. And the video that we continue to describe throughout this four part series had a quote about how the players thought about it, and it went as such With free agency in hand and players free to play where they wanted, the next two decades focused on protecting players and their families through the NFL PA's benefit program. And this is today 
probably the biggest topic that we hear about, or at least mainstream media. There's still contract stuff going on, but player safety on the field and off the field is extremely important. I mean, it starts often with trying to find a way to protect the players from playing on the field in the game, but it doesn't stop there. You got to make sure they have proper treatment, make sure they're diagnosed correctly. They got to be able to go back into the game only if they should. But if they shouldn't go back in the game, you probably should stop them because there's the lingering long-term effects. And the NFLPA did not hide from the fact that the sport of football is very dangerous. In fact, Demora Smith, the executive director of NFLPA, in that video said this, This is a game not where there's the possibility of you being hurt, but the reality that you will be hurt. Changing it from the idea of a game to a workplace was something that was significant. So think about that. Did your workplace treat safety as a priority, as the priority above all else? Like if you're not safe, then I don't care what happens because safety is top dog. I mean, I know the place that I work for right now does, and it's very important. Because if you're not safe, you get hurt, then not only does that affect you, that affects your family, it affects the company, and everybody else. And the NFLPA, they wanted to convey that message. There's also a movie that Will Smith starred in called Concussion that really put this larger spotlight on player safety. This movie was based on Dr. Bennett Amala's work at Harvard. The NFLPA partners with countless organizations, including Harvard, to work towards player safety and improving it for them on the field as well as off the field and beyond into the retirement stage. From the website, this is what they said. At the heart of its commitment, the NFLPA dedicated millions to create the Football Players Health Study at Harvard University a 10-year initiative utilizing the world's top medical specialists in their respective fields. This is another one of those links that I'll provide in the show notes for you so you can take a look at it for yourself. It's pretty interesting to see everything that they're coming up with nowadays. But really what it describes is seven pilot studies geared towards helping current and former NFL players. The first one is using light treatment, which is either red or near-infrared light, and shining it directly on the brain cells. This is supposed to help with concussions, which When they have a concussion, it slows down the blood flow. And then the healing process, of course, is slowed down as well. But this is supposed to help with sleep and the healing process to be able to get to the point where players can recover better and have a better chance at a favorable outcome. So they said that the trials are showing pretty good success so far. The second initiative is a new surgical process using the scaffold technique to regrow ACL. I mean, ACL injuries, that's something that in the past, that would totally shut down a player's career. Now we have guys like Adrian Peterson coming off of their ACL injury and going for 2,000 yards. The third initiative is the Healthier Heart Wall Research, where they're trying to take the wall of the heart and they're trying to make sure that it doesn't get hardened up too much. And there's just various things that I'm not going to get into because I'm not a doctor. The site said that Harvard research team, would they ended up fielding 150 proposals and they only accepted four to continue this funding research. The fourth one, which is the first of these four, is something called the tau protein antibody. Sounds like Amalu's autopsy of former Pittsburgh Steelers center Mike Webster found large amounts of this tau protein, which according to Amalu, there's a various amount of kind of issues that this thing causes. And this antibody, they're hoping that it prevents brainstem cells from dying, as in they're going to use this antibody to help prevent the spread of the tau protein, which kills a lot of these other things. And again, Not a science dude, so I'm not going to try to pretend. The fifth one is joint pain gel. It's basically, it names itself right in the subject. It's a pain gel to help with joint pain. 
and it's supposed to be an injectable hydrogel, which if that's the case and it's going to help them get off of opioids, I think that's going to be an improvement. The sixth is tracking brain movement in athletes to develop safer practices and equipment. It's really looking at a non-invasive device to be able to measure brain impact during the games. Just think about the data that you can gain as far as how the brain reacts and everything to the hits. And then lastly, the seventh initiative is the state-of-the-art knee injury prevention device. Again, it's a brace that names itself. It's supposed to be able to give players the support in the knees without restricting the movement. And there's many other safety initiatives throughout the NFL, but the NFLPA, like I said, is continuing to promote player safety as well as health and safety for their families. The NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has responded well, I believe. Some fans are not happy with many of the rule changes that have come about because they feel that it's hurting the integrity of the game and the, you know, the rough style play that we're used to from football and making it exciting. But remember back in the early 1900s, Mr. Teddy Roosevelt? He almost had to shut this game down for good because there were way too many deaths going on. Now we've moved a long ways from Walter Camp and Teddy Roosevelt back there for more than 100 years to 2011 when safety was a high point of contention for the new CBA. And it's not going to be perfect, but we got to continue to go after it. This brings us, though, to that 2011 CBA agreement, March 11, 2011. The CBA ran out, and there was not a new agreement on the table. So March 12th, Commissioner Roger Goodell announced that the owners were locking out the players for the first time in history. Well, that's what it said here on the NFLPA site, but I remember in 1982 strike, they talked about the owners shutting down operations, and so I'm guessing that this is the first time that the owners were the ones that initiated the initial work stoppage. This time, it was DeMorris Smith at the helm. He was a Washington attorney who was elected as the top dog of the NFLPA back in March of 2009, and during this lockout, the players were banned from facilities or even contacting their coaches. It said that many of the players organized their own workouts. I'm sure many of them talked to coaches, and there's a lot of that going on. But legally, or at least according to the lockout, they were not supposed to talk to each other. And the NFLPA stood by its promise of having the point of emphasis for making player health and safety non-negotiable. And we've seen many of the changes ever since. Every year, we see these different kind of rules that come out in regards to player safety. In the current CBA, was officially ratified and signed on August 4th, 2011. And there's a 316-page document that is also linked in the show notes, and I tell you, you can go ahead and read it at your own risk. But from the NFLPA site, it stated that the 2011 Collective Bargaining Agreement ensures players receive quality care before, during, and after competition. And here are some of the highlighted points from the CBA that was agreed to in 2011. There were longer periods of rest between rigorous practices and seasons for the bodies to repair themselves. The NFL owners, they wanted to bump that up to 18 regular season games. Think about it. Two more regular season games, one more home game, that's some more money for you. Not to mention the TV contracts, the commercials, the ads, everything else. But the NFLPA, they refused and they dug themselves in, just like the Texans over in the Alamo. Well, uh, maybe not the greatest analogy because it didn't really turn out too good for those guys over there in the Alamo. But what it did do is it fueled the battle rally cry for the rest of the war, and it told them, guys, we're going to always remember the Alamo. So I guess in a way it can kind of correlate it there. But remember, 
player safety for the NFLPA is always on top. And they want to remember that they don't want to forget those that came before them and the other ones that gave it all they had on the field and in their personal lives no matter. Do not forget, do not get bullied. Well, I mean, something like that <laughs> along those lines. And well, part of the 10 years, the 10 year CBA, was there would be a $1 billion increase in player benefits. There would also be introduced a legacy benefit for former players called the trust. Again, let's not we forget the fallen brave ones that sacrificed to get us to where we are today. Unfortunately, though, as we sit here, many are fearful that the 2021 season is in doom. Most are seeing that they're going to lock out the players again. We're going to have a problem where we might not have regular season, preseason games. I don't know about you, but I hope that it doesn't even get to that. I hope that somehow we can resolve this between the NFL owners and the players so we never have to worry about this again. But with that being said, this is the end of a four-part series on the NFLPA, and I feel it fitting to leave you with the mission of the NFLPA, and it goes as such. We, the National Football League Players Association, pay homage to our predecessors for their courage, sacrifice, and vision, pledge to preserve and enhance the democratic involvement of our members, confirm our willingness to do whatever is necessary for the betterment of our membership, to preserve our gains and achieve those goals not yet attained. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets throughout this four-part series covering the history of the NFLPA. If you enjoyed the show, I ask that you subscribe for free by mashing that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice to make sure you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes each and every week. Now next episode, we're firing up that DeLorean to take it back quite a few decades to learn about the first NFL draft. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes... Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>